Hello, welcome to the Healthy Alternatives podcast. I am Dr. Christine Sauer with DocChristine.com. Today's show is a recording of my radio show of the same name. Enjoy! Good afternoon, this is Dr. Christine Sauer, your host of the show Healthy Alternatives here on 97.5 CIOE FM with live stream on communityradio.ca every Thursday at 12 noon Atlantic Standard Time. Thanks for tuning in today. In this show, I will talk mostly with guests about all aspects of health, healthcare and wellness from conventional to alternative and everything in between. My mission for this radio show is to help change people's lives for the better by informing them about different options to get and stay healthy and well so they can choose for themselves which option might work in their case. And if you feel you are stuck in a dark place, I want to tell you there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Today I'm very pleased to be with my friend and author Jeanette Follen. Jeanette is an integrative health coach. She is the creator of an activity book for kids called Mastering the Power of Sensitivity and the author of the really nice novel Diary of a Teenage Empath. She's also co-authored a multimedia workbook Energy Skills for Highly Sensitive Teens and Empaths. Jeanette, I'm so pleased to have you here today. And I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Christine. Now, I have to ask you, how did you get into talking about highly sensitive people, especially teens? I was one. <laughs> the journey starts way back. And the older I got, um, and the more I started paying attention to the world and paying attention to myself and going through different uh, just life changes, moving from one country to another, uh, I started noticing and having uh, pretty severe, what I would say, symptoms. I would um, feel trembly to any vibration around me. And I was having negative thoughts all the time. I was crying at the drop of a hat. I thought this was all perhaps related to menopause, premenopause <laughs> symptoms. Uh, as it turns out, the more research I did, I realized, no, that this is my sensitivity and that I have always been a highly sensitive person. So how does anybody know whether they are a highly sensitive person or whether they should see their doctor and take Valium, for example? Which I don't recommend. <laughs> no, very good question, though. You, no matter what age you are, you tend to show the sensitive trait. Um, that could be anything from crying easily at things that aren't even related to you. So you might see somebody else having a bad day and you feel so empathetic for them that you begin to cry uh, along with them. Even if they're not uh, a friend of yours, you can still have that much empathy. Uh, you tend to be alone. You tend to need that time alone. You're not really an extrovert or somebody who's super social. And you're sensitive to things in your environment as well, such as bright lights or loud noises. You don't like being in crowds of people where there's a lot of energy. We need to think about it on the energetic level, mm -hmm. that if everything is energy and you are a highly sensitive person, you are sensitive to that energy overload. Yeah, and nowadays there's a lot of energy overload. 
there is indeed. And when I see even toddlers watching TV, which certainly is an energy overload for them, and then playing computer games all day, that must be some overload. And it's a different type of overload. Mm. In that case, you're talking about the electromagnetic frequencies that are coming from all these devices, and they're not balancing that out with the natural energy, which is getting outside and exercising and playing and being grounded to the earth and, mm -hmm. and really taking in those healing properties of nature. So how would, say, a parent is concerned about their child being a little sensitive how would they recognize that and what can they do what i have found is that there are three different categories if you will of sensitivity the first one mm -hmm. is being sensitive to people so you notice do they steer away from being in crowds uh do school pep rally and suddenly they're having like an emotional overload because they're around too many people doing mm -hmm. too many vibrant things um watching being watched makes them very nervous so if you're doing any kind of a task or performance if somebody's watching them they just no no you know go away i don't don't watch me don't watch me there, there's something there that um that uh, shuts them down when they're being observed they are very good at reading people's moods so sometimes you'll see that kids will um say you know mommy that person is sad over there that person feels lonely and you think how do they know that they just know that's another mm -hmm. key factor um uh, And if, then there's the external environment. As I said, if they get startled by loud noises, they don't like bright lights, flashing lights, uh, they often have a very good sense of smell, so anything related to their five senses, and they notice the tiniest of details that other people don't notice. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the external environment. And then, finally, uh, parents can notice the internal environment of the child. So are they creative Do they have a very vivid imagination? Do they seem to spend a lot of time daydreaming? Uh, do they love nature and animals? Are they kind of drawn and comforted by that? And are they sensitive to certain, um, I want to say stimulants. I know kids aren't drinking caffeine, but like candy. Shouldn't be right? <laughs> Candy, um, you know, any type of sugar, if they seem to be sensitive to that, that's another good indicator. How about other toxins like artificial colors and stuff like that? Is it sensitivity to that too? I think it depends on the person, but mm. in general, I believe in what I have found is that as time goes on and the next generation is coming up and you found that how kids are sensitive to peanuts and sensitive to dairy and sensitive to, of course, the changes in our food over the last few decades has uh, wreaked havoc on, on the system. But highly sensitive people, I believe, are even more so sensitive. So if your child does have food sensitivities mm -hmm. and none of the other things that I've described, then no, and most likely it's yeah. just a biological issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's fascinating. So what do parents do when they suspect their child may be highly sensitive? How can they help the child deal with it? I think one of the best um, ways is to help them change their perspective because mm -hmm. all too often a child can sense when um, they're different and yeah. they can feel that others are um, judging them or thinking that uh, there's something wrong with them. And so um, the way that I described it in uh, one of the pages of the activity book is that uh, 
to start at the beginning with your child, that place mm-hmm. of discovery where everything is new and extraordinary, and that if you read about being a highly sensitive child, it, it, it's described as anything but new and extraordinary. In fact, it's a very familiar place that's dark and filled with just a regime of coping skills and strategies, mm. but I wonder what would happen if we could turn the telescope around and look at it from the other end. I like that idea. We should look more at the positive skills and the negative effects it may have. And um, Mm -hmm. how do we do that? How do we tell a child that they're special in a good way and that they're powerful? Uh, So the analogy that I came up with, I'm a very visual person, uh, the analogy I came up with is imagine that everybody is a cell tower. Mm -hmm. And... 80% of the population, those who don't have the sensitive trait, they have one receiver, they have one transmitter, and they have a standard H25 data processor. (laughs) Okay. Um, But for those who have the sensitive trait, we're a cell tower that has four receivers, two transmitters, and a super SPS X750 processor. (laughs) I like that. That is amazing. (laughs) So we are receiving more information Mm -hmm. than the cell tower standing next to us. We are processing that information at a much deeper, detailed level. That's Mm -hmm. our cognitive processing. And then we oftentimes will um, emit or transmit out at a stronger signal as well, which mm-hmm. is where a lot of times you can find kids and teens who um, uh, they, they get overly emotional and they will have uh, panic attacks, anxiety attacks, what might even appear to be a temper tantrum, or they'll just completely shut down. Mm-hmm. Now, that is, that is fascinating. So basically what you're saying, they're so confused by all the information coming in, by all those waves and energy that, they don't know how to deal with it. Is that right? That is right. But that I want to differentiate the fact that um, a lot of conditions and disorders are sometimes associated with being highly sensitive. And they're two separate things, mm. in fact. Uh, a highly sensitive person receives more information, but that data processor runs perfectly. Mm-hmm runs perfectly it doesn't there's no confusion in what's happening it's just too much information that is being analyzed at almost too deep of a level Mm. Um, whereas if you look at the other disorders um, such as uh, Asperger's syndrome autism they are um, that that data processor is misfiring Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's some some crossed wires there and the information is not coming through and Mm -hmm. in that case the processor is confused about what to do with the information so that is two separate things yeah that that's interesting to know and uh, I I myself feel that in uh, the case of autism and ADHD there is an option to help with certain nutrients Mm-hmm. that those kids may be missing and sometimes it really makes a difference and uh, but a highly sensitive person I don't think it would make a difference because they are highly sensitive and they function as I get you they function well in school and uh, society is that right they function well right up until they hit the overload mark mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is in my experience I have found that there are Uh, four basic modes of operation and Mm -hmm. I'm going to describe this from a kid's perspective 
Uh, so when a child is in what I call the engaged receiving mode, they are taking in the energy around them. They're usually around other people, and they may even be socially engaged in the classroom or playing a game. Um, but there's, they're in a high-stimulation environment, and you might see that they are showing that high-energy behavior as well. So they may look like every other kid just playing and having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they stay in that environment for too long and they're just absorbing all this energy, at that some point they're going to go into overload. Mm-hmm. And what happens then is they need to be alone. Mm-hmm. They, you'll see them, even if they're around other people, you'll see them withdraw, they'll go into themselves. Um, maybe their social behavior is a bit erratic and they may even disappear into uh, depression or, you know, really introverted state Mm -hmm. Um, and they may take a while to come out of it sometimes it's an hour sometimes it's a day sometimes it's a week Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes it's longer than that Uh, until they find and they usually it is withdrawing and being by themselves and balancing themselves in some other way that is the going outside in nature versus sitting in front of a video game Um, they need to rebalance that energy and so they disengage to kind of neutralize themselves I think that is a very important topic and we should talk a little bit more about what modes they have, how to help them get through it. And I know you have an awesome test for, I don't know, kids, teenagers, even adults to find out if they are a highly sensitive person, which I think can be very valuable in differentiating it maybe from other disorders and preventing treatment that may not be necessary. So this brings us to the end of the first half of today's broadcast. Please tune in after the commercial break for more with Jeanette Fonen about highly sensitive people. Hello and welcome back to Healthy Alternatives here on 97.5 CIOEFM or on the web at communityradio.ca. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sauer, and today I'm talking with author Jeanette Folen about highly sensitive people. Thanks, Jeanette, for being back. And in the first half, we talked about the amazing things, how you can realize that children that you have may be sensitive. And let's talk a little bit more about that. Yes, as um, I was saying that there are these modes of operation, I find, and that once a child uh, or teen or adult has um, kind of retreated and now they're balancing themselves, they can be done in many different ways. Sometimes uh, it just happens naturally, just getting out of the environment that they were in. But there are many, many things that you can try and have fun playing around with to see what works best for you. Simple things like yoga or tai chi, meditation, uh, qigong, uh, getting into the more fun uh, crystals, uh, pranic healing, sound therapy, um, just shiatsu massage therapy, uh, shamanic practices. I mean, there are so many 
energy balancing and grounding modes, methods, techniques out there. And the more you experiment with them, the more you're just going to find that it's so easy to move from in and out of that state of, of overload. Yeah, so those energy practices are especially important for sensitive people, right? They are very much so. And I know you wrote an awesome workbook for highly sensitive teens, is that right? Yes, uh, it's called Energy Skills for Highly Sensitive Teens and Empaths. It's an interactive workbook, so rather than just being a, a black and white, you know, question and answer, or fill in a graph here and there, um, my co-author and I decided to make <laughs> it as fun and engaging for teens as possible because they're what they're going through is challenging enough. We want the material to be really user-friendly and very teen-friendly, and so the 100 pages is filled with colorful graphics and self-quizzes and uh, lots of uh, audio files, video files, games, and all kinds of really good activities. And you gave me a chance to look into it, and it really is fun even for adults, but what must be for fun for sensitive teens. You have a test for them, too, to take. Yes, the test is on uh, the, web the website, which is empathdiary.com slash quiz. And there are two parts to the test. The first part, I send you to another website called 16personalities.com. I think that kids uh, need to learn what personality type they are. And they, the extensive test results that they give you do, takes a half hour, an hour to read. But I have not met anyone yet who hasn't said, oh, my gosh, that's exactly me. Super. <laughs> so, yeah. And then once you're finished with that test, hop back over to my quiz. And I ask that you give me the four letters of your personality type and then go through and take what is the highly sensitive empath quiz. It's 20 questions lots of fun, engaging things. And then you get a, re a report back on that that just says whether you are um, highly sensitive or not, or whether you are what is called empathic, which is even a deeper level of sensitivity. Yeah, and I took that test and it actually is fun even for adults. And what was the website again? Empathdiary.com. Yeah, that's certainly something to type to take down and if you want to hear it again give me a call or call the radio station and send me an email and I'll be happy to share it again because that is really good so what types do you have uh, out of the first thousand hits that we got on the website on the quiz where people gave us their personality type and completed the quiz and were either rated as a highly sensitive or an empath. I have thought it was very interesting that the vast majority are what is called a diplomat. That is either somebody who is um, introverted, uh, intuitive, feeling, judging, so that the INFP, INFJ, ENFJ, or ENFP, those, those four personality types, 34% of them are INFPs. Whatever that may mean. <laughs> <laughs> that, that means that you are a mediator. It means that you are somebody who is uh, poetic and kind, altruistic, um, always eager to help a good cause, They're very kind-hearted people. There's a lot of them, especially in Nova Scotia, I find. Well, interestingly, they're not. Oh. I mean, perhaps in Nova Scotia, there's a rather large population, but overall in the world, it is only accounts for 3% of the population, that wow. particular personality type. Wow, that sounds like a really fun test. And everybody that listens to that show or the podcast should go to the website and do it. Definitely. Wonderful. Thanks, Jeanette, for putting that up. It's great, mm -hmm. great job. And it's fun, too, because here's all those funny icons and... <laughs> It is. It's a very clever website, yes. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, how do parents uh, do that? And I, I know you told me a story what, about one of the exercises that you talk about in that book. You said something about chopsticks. Now is it Chinese? <laughs> <laughs> chopsticks. It's called the chopstick smile, and it is an authentic test that was done, conducted uh, in 2012. Just to, to backtrack a little bit about what we were talking about. So man has always had this curiosity about where emotional energy comes from. And one of the more recent or popular ideas is that our emotions are produced by our body's response to external stimuli. In other words, we um, touch something hot and our hand recoils and our muscles tense and the brain says, oh my gosh, we're in, a, we're in, you know, we're fight, flight, freeze mode or we're in panic mode. And so it begins releasing whatever chemicals, endorphins are needed uh to the to the, for, for the event, yes. Um, so what people are doing, uh, what the study is conducted, is that they've turned everything on their head. In other words, what if we pretend that something is happening to us? Can we trick our brain into believing that we are happy and relaxed and peaceful, even in the face of some stressful situations? So... In 2012, the study was conducted, and a genuine smile was mimicked while performing stressful activities. They found that it did lower the heart rate and decrease the feelings of stress. And what they did, you just have to find a chopstick or something, um, a pen, hopefully nothing too toxic. Okay, putting a pen in your mouth works. <laughs> and you put the pen all the way back in your mouth, so your teeth are biting down on it. And, and you, we are doing it right now. And you we're can doing imagine it right now. <laughs> you um, are mimicking a smile, and the, the your brain knows this because of the crease lines around your eyes, of the muscles in your face, and it will begin to emit all of the happy hormones, such as your dopamine, your serotonin, your endorphins. It actually works. The first time that I tried it, I was feeling very sad. I didn't have anything stressful happening in the moment, but I was still feeling very sad. And I put the chopstick in. And after a minute, of course, I started kind of giggling and feeling lighthearted and feeling a little ridiculous. But that added to the fun of the exercise. And then, of course, I took a selfie of me, you know, a <laughs> selfie with this chopstick smile. And then I just and then I left and it, yeah. I really felt the surge of elation. Yeah. So it's true that we can trick our our body our mind into yeah. cooperating with our body and isn't that what this is all about is the right. mind body connection and right. keeping all of that in balance which is why unfortunately when you're highly sensitive going to just straight therapy where it's talk therapy or you know cognitive behavioral therapy that's that's fine that's one end of the spectrum but we need the energy coming from the other end of that spectrum too the positive energy yes a laugh as you said and I, I notice it myself when I feel bad and I just smile because I want to smile and I feel better. And it works. One of mine is dancing. Yeah. I just, uh, usually the house is pretty quiet and since I'm a writer, I can't have a lot of background mm -hmm. noise, but. Uh, I will just get up every hour or so and I will hit the radio button as I pass through the kitchen and there's always some fun song playing and I will dance no matter what it is. And that's my rule is no matter what song is playing, you have to dance to it. So that's super. That's a good break <laughs> and it's some exercise and it makes you feel good too. It does. It immediately, yeah. immediately yeah. jumpstarts and that energy. And really everybody should get up when they're on the working in the sitting position just for their own good and get up and do something they enjoy, whether it's a few exercises or go out and breathe some fresh air if you can, or just stretch and do something or good ideas dancing. I like that. And the 
thing about that is, especially when it comes to kids, is that we don't just form habits behaviorally. We form habits neurologically, mm-hmm. and we form habits physically. So for example, that's what muscle memory is. I can sit down and play a song of the piano that I learned when I was six years old and haven't played since because I played it so many times that first time that I learned it, that my muscles actually remember what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now imagine that you don't teach yourself uh, the get into the neurological, physiological habit of going outside, connecting with nature, jumping rope, dancing, and instead you're fill, you're making those habits of sitting in front of a computer and right and exercising it, your thumbs instead it, it, of your body. That's right. And the brain always makes new connection, especially in childhood, but even later on. And it really makes a difference what we do all day. It does. I recall very vividly when my mother-in-law said to me before she went into a nursing home, she said, be very, very careful what habits you form when you're young because they get much harder to break when you're older. And so intrigued was I on that notion and watching the habits I was forming. I I went out recently and bought a book um, called Breaking the Habit of Being You, And it was uh, it was a bit heavy on the neurological side mm-hmm. and the scientific side, but it it encapsulated exactly what you just said. Yeah, it is so important that our brain can grow and form no connection until high old age, and we have to do something new, break the old you, make some, do something new, try something new, learn something new to keep fresh. Besides, obviously, what you said, the nutrition, and yeah. that's a nice thought of leaving our. Listeners too, thank you so much, Jeanette, to be on the show. It was a pleasure and very interesting. You're very welcome. It was great to be here. Thanks. And this brings me to the end of today's show. Please don't hesitate to contact me with any questions, thoughts, comments, or suggestions. Or if you'd like to contact Jeanette, my email here is christine at communityradio.ca. And I'm always grateful for any feedback. I also want to extend a special thank you to today's producer, Jim Francis, and his sweet assistant. You might not know this, but this is a volunteer-run non-profit radio station. Thanks for listening to Healthy Alternatives. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sauer. Tune in next Thursday at noon at 97.5 Sierra EFM Community Radio with live stream on communityradio.ca for the next episode. Goodbye and have a great day.